Greg Zuckerman is the award-winning Wall Street Journal reporter. Greg, what got you into writing a book about the frackers, the oil men of the 21st century? Hey, and great to be here. Um, so I'm a business writer, and it occurred to me a good couple of years ago, two, three years ago, that there's really no more important business topic globally, and quite frankly, nothing more interesting than this um, revolution that started in the United States, and eventually it's going to make its way elsewhere. And I was also betting that there'd be some interesting, colorful uh, personalities, a little bit of a, a Dallas kind of theme, and, and there was, thankfully. Uh, I was going. I was going to ask you. Um, do, do, you know, the, we in South Africa, the world learned about America's oil industry, courtesy of Bobby and J.R. Ewing. Did you meet those sorts of characters as you went through um, looking at the gas fields and uh, the likes of George Mitchell and Tom Ward and Harold Hamm? Um, was was there a, a Cliff Barnes amongst them? Yeah, there were there were multiple characters, and I was uh, thrilled to uh, and lucky to to run into them. I mean, you mentioned Harold Hamm. And here's a guy who was born just dirt poor. He couldn't even go to school each year until around Christmas time in the United States because he uh, had to help his parents. They were sharecroppers in the fields, and he didn't go to college. He didn't know much about drilling or engineering, and yet he had this hunger to find oil. It's sort of an American archetype, and you still have these people that want to risk it all and and believe in themselves and believe in the country still, and maybe there aren't as many as there used to be, but I found a lot of them here, and today, Harold Hamm is one of the most important uh, oil men in the world, and he's worth $15 billion. He's so wealthy that uh, he's going through a divorce, unfortunately, right now. Again, a little bit of a Dallas theme there, Um, but his uh, wife's going to walk away with uh, more money than uh, our our U.S. uh, TV uh, personality, Oprah Winfrey, and uh, probably she's going to walk away with literally billions of dollars. So, yeah, you have a bunch of people in my book are sort of rad to richer stories like that. How did it all start? Because it is surprising that it has taken probably, what, 20 years for the first definitive book to come out to tell the stories of the revolutionaries who are behind the fracking phenomenon in the United States. Well, it's interesting. It sort of crept up on us in the United States. I mean, uh, um, George Mitchell is the father of this whole revolution, and he ran a mid-sized natural gas company in Texas, and he was running out of gas. His company was going to be in trouble, and he basically told his guys, all right, uh, we've got to go find natural gas in his rock called shale, and the only way we're going to do it is by fracking. And they spent from 1982 to 1997 working on it, and as recently as 1997, they were failing left and right, um, and by then, Mitchell was around 80 years of age, and um, his heir apparent was telling the, them to give up on what they were working on, and they were having all kinds of problems. And then, lo and behold, they kind of had a breakthrough around 1998, and um, there were a few other people subsequently that I write about. But he's sort of the father of this whole thing. And, yeah, it's only been sort of since, I'd say, 2007 or 2008 or so that we've had this surge in the United States, and then we're still waiting for it to happen uh, elsewhere in the world. Yeah, we've got fracking, which has become an established form of extracting natural gas. It has been developed by these entrepreneurs, the guys like uh, Aubrey McLeddon and Tom Ward and Sharif Suki and Mark Papa, um, a guy who used to work for Enron. Um, these are guys who have basically, I mean, there was, the last time there was an oil rush in the United States was probably in the, in the 1880s, who have become... Um, sort of legends in their own time, the 21st century frontier um, sort of oil men of, of their time. Are there common characteristics that run through them? Are they all certifiably nuts um, uh, by, way, by point of starting? 
Well, it's a good question. Um, they, all the characters that you mentioned, they're all the key people in my book, and they all have this remarkable amount of self-confidence and <laughs> stubbornness, I would say. In some ways, they very much reflect uh, this American quality where um, they ignore the experts and they believed in themselves. And if you think about it, who should have led this revolution? Well, it should have been ExxonMobil sure. or BP or Chevron, one of those guys. And all the experts uh, in those those companies I mentioned, but also the top guys on Wall Street, they all got it wrong. They didn't expect this. They all bet against it. They were going offshore and Africa and Asia and anywhere but America. And it took these sort of stubborn, um, colorful, I call them outsiders because many of them didn't go to college or didn't know anything about engineering or drilling. I mean, Aubrey McClendon, you mentioned, he went to Duke University and, and studied history. Harold Hamm didn't even go to college. And uh, Sharif Suki was a, was a restaurateur and he owned some bars. And yeah, they're the ones who ignored what the experts said. And the experts said, give up on America. There's no more oil and gas left. And I think it takes a certain personality type, a very stubborn, very self-confident person to ignore the conventional wisdom and to pull something like this off. Uh, they also have experimented extensively because the, the technology, the fracking technology, it's massively controversial here. We have got a part of South Africa called the Karoo. It's a desert with um, de- decent underground water supplies and people who are against the concept of fracking the shale that does exist under the Karoo are concerned about water supplies. You don't go out to make any value judgments on the rights and the wrongs in your book, not that I picked up anyway, when it comes to the concept of fracking. You, you talk about the revolution it has caused, but you don't make value judgments on the environmental consequences. I try to play down the middle. I think that net-net it's been a real positive for America. Besides just the jobs involved, it actually has been helpful for the environment because we've been able to shift from coal to natural gas at the margin, and uh, it's reduced our carbon dioxide emissions and all kinds of other harmful things to the air. Um, the danger, though, isn't so much, I would argue, the risks of uh, chemicals getting into the water. That can be handled. The risk is that we become further addicted to fossil fuels fuels and long term, if you care about global warming and other kinds of issues, we really have to kick that habit. I am positive, though. I believe this is buying uh, the United States and the world some time to make the advances uh, in sustainable uh, energy, alternative energy, solar, wind, etc. And we are making real progress there. People say, well, Greg, why aren't we making the same revolutions like we are with fossil fuels, natural gas, and oil? And I counter that it took George Mitchell, as I write in my book, from 1982 to 1998 to make a breakthrough when it came to shale and to fracking. So it's going to take a while before making these uh, advances um, in, in alternatives, but we're going to get there. So I am upbeat and positive uh, down the road in terms of this buying us time, but I am wary. As, as I think we all need to be in terms of our consumption of fossil fuels. However, is there a body of evidence in the United States to show that um, there have been environmental, there's been environmental degradation in parts of the world where there has been extensive fracking? Well, there have been uh, many, many incidents, I'd say, um, Pennsylvania and other kinds of places. I would argue that fracking, and it's not just me, some environmental centrists, are, uh, environmental groups would agree, that fracking can be done safely, but it's not to say that it always is being done safely. So instead of you know, many people in America, environmentalists and people on the left, say we've got to stop fracking and fracking poisons, and to me that's just a silly 
um, stance because fracking is not going anywhere. We get about 90% of our wells are fracked today, and fracking is just hydraulic fracturing, as you know, and it just means creating little fractures on the rock and with chemicals and with, with mostly water and sand. And again, it can be done properly, but the better stance, I would argue, is to put pressure on the oil and gas companies to make sure they don't mess up and that they don't make mistakes because it can be done properly. Um, but instead, in America and maybe elsewhere as well, there's too much. Um, uh, there's a very it's a very divided country about many important issues, including fracking. So um, the experience here has been yes, there have been many incidents of spills and all kinds of issues and casing of the wells not being done properly. But they can be remediated and they can be improved, and they are doing a much better job. The oil and gas companies will admit that they, early on they were just they hadn't been doing that much drilling in America and some of these parts of the of the country, like in Pennsylvania, and they learned they learned a lot of lessons from that. Are we seeing that the mainstream oil companies are catching on to this phenomenon? Are they buying out um, the frontiersmen, the, the Mitchells, the Wards and the Hams uh, in your story? Are we seeing this going mainstream? Or is big oil still quite dismissive of what is going on in the fracking industry? So around 2008 and 2009, the big guys, ExxonMobil and others, realized what they'd missed. And they literally missed it. I mean, um, ExxonMobil has headquarters in Texas, in Irvine, Texas. And literally underneath their <laughs> headquarters is the Barnett Shale, which is the epicenter, uh, ground zero of this whole revolution. And yet they couldn't care less until around, again, 2009. And then all these companies raced back to America and threw billions and billions of dollars to buy a lot of the uh, pioneers and smaller companies, uh, Exxon in particular, spent $31 billion on a company. Um, so you would have thought they would have passed the baton, the mid-sized guys, the little guys that I write about would have passed the baton to the huge guys. And that's happened to some extent. But other companies spent so much money, throwing money at this problem, like Shell, that in the last um, even year or two, they've realized that, that they spent too much and they blew it, and they haven't done such a great job, and some of them are pulling out again. And you'd be surprised how many, how many wildcatters and entrepreneurs and JR are Ewing types still hungry? I meet them all the time. And they're buying up acreage, and Aubrey McClendon is back at it again. He's betting on the state of Ohio in the United States. And they, again, have this real remarkable self-confidence and, um, and hunger to find oil and gas in this country. Is it a drug to them, do you think? I mean, you could argue that's like any other sort of ambitious uh, um, people. These, these people have ambitions not just to get wealthy, although that's big part of it, don't get me wrong, but they also want to change the country and get famous, and it's like anybody else like that. They, they're, they're driven, and it's not mm. just the money. So a guy like Harold Hamm is worth $15 billion today, but this is all he really does. He doesn't have many hobbies. Um, I've spent time with all these people there. They just want to find a lot of oil and gas, and um, this is their passion. Yeah, so it's an obsession almost. The huge economic benefits of fracking, though, have come to bear. The United States is practically energy self-sufficient, or at least will be within a couple of years. It's done amazing things for the United States trade deficit. Um, It's no longer dependent on Middle East oil. It makes it less vulnerable to go and fight wars um, that it really has no business in, you know, into the future. This revolution is changing geopolitics too, isn't it, Greg? It really is. Um, I think many in the United States and maybe elsewhere as well are conscious of the economic benefits, as you suggested. Um, everything from two million jobs probably going to be created to just GDP being helped and um, 
parts of the country, small town America, getting a shot in the arm. Um, and the environmental consequences has also been debated. But the geopolitics, I think only recently are people starting to wake up and see uh, the impact. And it's dramatic. I mean, I think a few months ago, when you think back about why the United States didn't get involved in Syria, even though Saudi Arabia was begging the United States to get involved, I think part of it is because America doesn't care as much what Syria, what, what I'm sorry, what Saudi Arabia thinks, because the United States doesn't import as much crude from the Middle East. And in general, I believe that the Middle East is going to matter less to the United States in the future, in the next, I don't know, five to ten years than it has in the past. It'll still be important for the United States, but not as important, especially if Hillary Clinton wins in 2016, mm. as she might. Um, there's going to be a pivot towards Asia, and that's going to be fascinating. You know, so what does that mean? Does that mean the United States plays a if the United States plays a smaller role in the Middle East? Who plays a bigger role? Maybe China does. Do we want that? Do we not want that? These are issues that I think only people in Washington are starting to debate, and I think they're going to be very important going forward. Greg Zuckerman, thanks so much for chatting to us tonight about an issue very close to South Africans' hearts. Uh, his book is fabulous. It's called The Frackers, and it's a book about the characters at the start of this revolution in the United States. And there are some marvelous characters in it, but it really is essential background reading. If you want to fight with absolutely anybody about fracking the Karoo, you need to know the stuff that is in Greg Zuckerman's book, Meet the Frackers. Um, and there's some fantastic characters in it as well. Greg Zuckerman on the line to us from Manhattan this evening. I do hope you go out and buy this book. We've been spoiled recently with some seriously fabulous books and uh, the frackers is most certainly one of those